Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as mm-hmm. soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online, and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough, and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then, and you're re- Enacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Email from uh, a woman who said, I would like to come on the show and talk about why pornography is so harmful to relationships and how addicts so oftentimes. Uh, minimize, defend, rationalize, justify everything they do. And we know that about all addicts, but, you know, truly pornography is something that typically does get minimized. You know, men say, well, I wasn't cheating. I wasn't with anybody else. And so today, we're going to be talking about an. We're going to be talking to an advocate uh, who wants to discuss how pornography has affected her life, as well as the life of women that um, she really, really uh, knows feels very similar to her. And so that'll be exciting. I really know that this woman has a heart for partners. And speaking of partners, I have to tell you something very, very, very cool. Um, It was interesting because I had been told by an addict that my Help Her Heal group uh, that I do was being... Actually, the book, Help Her Heal, was now a book study on SAA-Recovery.org, which is a 12-step group. And I said to myself, no, it can't be on, on the SAA website because they only approve 
SAA literature. And nobody's contacting me from SAA. And it's not considered literature for SAA. It's not written by that organization. And so I was really taken aback when I looked. He said, hey, it's Sunday night. It's 7 o'clock. Just search all meetings. And there it was, a Help Her Heal study group. Now, this is why this is so incredible for couples, for addicts, and for partners. Because the truth is that they didn't necessarily approve this, but they're allowing it to be on their website, and it's going to be more partner-sensitive. And so when you have 12-step groups that follow a regime that was based on AA and Bill W, um, that was, if he's an addict, she's a co-addict. She's codependent. And listen, you addicts stay on your side of the road. Partner, you stay on your side. And maybe in a couple years, you can come back together. And nothing could be further from the truth. He does have to do his recovery, but she needs to feel safe. So she needs to know what's going on in his recovery. And she needs to be able to see his three circles if he's in a 12-step group so that she can maybe add to it or change it. You know, this is a relational problem. So that's why she really needs, she really needs to, to be a part of it. And Help Her Heal teaches men empathy. No, not every man gets it or understands it. We know that. But it has helped tens of thousands of men. I hear from my professional groups of 4,000 people that are using this in their practice, and they're like, this is exactly what he needed. It's slow. It's laborious. But it is exactly what he needed. And so I am so, I'm just so pleased that SAA, Sex Addicts Anonymous, has been willing to do this. Um, And that means they're learning how to be partner sensitive. So that is what I am most, most happy about. And I had to, uh, I had to share it with my listening audience um, because, you know, what I believe is that we all have to work together to make this the best possible. And, again, you're going to be hearing from a woman today that doesn't have the best success story for she and her husband. But she is assertive, and she has been standing on her own, and um, that's what I love. I love that she is really working hard to make a difference in the lives of women and to make a difference in her own life. So I am super excited to have her on here because you are such an advocate for women. Tell me a little bit about where you got the strength to do this, and and what, how should I refer to you? Um, you can refer to me as Susan. That's fine. Okay. I wanted to make sure I knew you, but sometimes, you know, we use 
synonyms and and if this can be an anonymous show, you can always call in and have an anonymous name because this stuff is all confidential, but yet we're trying to help people. So Susan, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And and you are on a mission and I wanted you to tell our listening audience a little bit about that. Thank you, Carol. And, um, you know, it's funny, I did call into some programs um, years ago when I was in the process of discovering and um, experiencing what betrayal trauma is. And I did call in Uh anonymously, and I was so grateful for that. And I just want to encourage people that um, my quote of the day was, we carry one another's burdens. And, um, And on the other side of this, it is so strengthening, but going through it is so painful and um, so shocking. And so I um, really think it's important that women speak about this. Um, There is sometimes shame involved, um, but I think that's something that women carry that they shouldn't carry. And so I encourage people to speak out much earlier than I have. And so that's where um, I would like to Um, share a little bit about my story. Um, I'm not quite sure where you would like me to begin. Well, I I guess I would like for you to share with our listening audience what signs did you see that he may have had addiction? What was going on? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, Some of the signs that I saw um, were, um, for example, when um, he would come home from work, and um, it was a little bit, you know, later, but not too later, so sort of on time. Um, but there was something where he was always very angry at me. We had um, small children, and so the house was chaotic. I am an artist, so I definitely had um, some projects in action around the house with, um, you know, at that point, one to three small girls. And, um, and there was just something always wrong with it. And um, I didn't, and I, I let that um, be a way that I absorbed that. And I was like, oh, yeah, something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. And, um, and so there would be this argument. And, um, and I believe that you don't let the sun go down on your anger. And I would say, can we talk about what just happened when you came home before we go to bed? And uh, another big sign was not only kind of picking fights out of nothing, but there was never a right time to talk about anything. And um, uh-huh. so even after the kids had gone to bed, or when the kids had gone to school, he's like, you don't even get it. There is never a right time for you. You never know how to bring the right thing up. And so we would go to bed without discussing it. We would, he would go back to work. Um, and there was still this anger, like the slamming of the door, the stonewalling. And, um, and so I think that was a very important sign. Um, my reaction to that was, um, you know, I, I codependent. Um, my father died when I was young. I was raised without really seeing strong female role models. So I would be the one begging on the phone, trying to please let's make this work. Um, please, can we just talk about it? But um, there was this stonewalling, and um, 
And what I learned after was part of the pattern of addiction, to my knowledge, was just a pornography addiction, but in his words, like a heroin addiction. Um, he would mm-hmm. leave in the morning angry, and so that could justify him being unfaithful to me because, like, he's angry at me, and so it was easier. And then after he was, you know, at his office, he worked alone in his office, um, and would act out kind of in the middle of the afternoon, I think. And he'd come home with shame, and that's where all that criticism of me came from. And so those were some um, pretty big signs. Yeah, they really, really were. And obviously, you didn't know what you didn't know. And so you had to be reeling from what is going on in my life. But, you know, I know you, Susan, as you described what you were going to be talking about, you referenced women's intuition and how important it is to pay attention to that. And and so even though you didn't understand what was going on, your intuition had to be going off saying, there's something wrong here and it's more than what I know. Would you agree? That's so true, and um, and that came out of um, I could see it in um, his eyes, the way his eyes would not look directly at me, and I thought, okay, this is my, this is the man I married. We had passion and friendship, and all of a sudden the eyes were diverted from my gaze when we would meet, when we would um, say goodbye, um, and so something told me that was wrong. Um, there was also a feeling um, when he would come home, I'd give a big hug, and um, and there was something about I would have to take his hand and put it on my hip and say, no, this is how you hug, you know? Like there was something in the body language that was telling me that there was something wrong. And, um, and again, that was, um, like, again, it came back at, at criticism towards me or, distraction with the kids very quickly. And so I always had to move on to the next thing. And so those seeds of knowing something was wrong, but not having any evidence, um, after a time, it was like I was lying, not that I was lying to myself, but that my intimate wishing was saying something's not right, but my life I had to keep living as if it were. And, um, and that started to kind of make a twisting inside of my heart that with the evidence I had or um, trusting still was that um, I started to feel a lot of anxiety and, um, and, um, and a lot of um, anger, actually. And, um, mm-hmm. and my, my, um, was, I was told by a man who's very clever, he's very smart, um, that, oh, that must be coming from me. I, you've got a lot of problems, Susan. And that's when the gaslighting started to happen. Yeah, I was going to say gaslighting and definitely DARVO. And for our listening audience, DARVO is when an addict denies that he has any problems, attacks the partner for her criticism or confusion, then he reverses the roles, and he becomes the victim, and she becomes the offender. And as long as 
an addict can place the blame on you. You're too inquisitive. You're too suspicious. You're um, you're not trusting enough. Uh, you're belittling. You're putting me down. You're you're controlling. Control is a big one. It keeps the partner off guard, and she doesn't know what to think until she snaps. And when she snaps, it's a good snap. And it's one of those places where a partner can go and say, you know what, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of this, and I am no longer going to buy into whatever is going on that I don't know about. Now, the truth is, you, you, you talked a little bit about how you coped. There was a lot of anxiety, and um, you wanted to trust your intuition, and yet insides were churning and they were twisting. Um, do you think your coping helped or hurt? the situation um i think that um that because it was a constant it was um something that the negative feelings that i was starting to be aware of i had to pay attention to it but i did cope um poorly i will say um my own weaknesses um when the intimacy in our marriage started to fade i um mistakenly turned to alcohol to have that as my intimate partner, <laughs> you know, and then my husband and I would have a glass of wine with dinner. That was fine. But when he wasn't home and it was time to be home and I found myself bracing myself um, for what was coming, it was all of a sudden, you know, it was subliminally this constant barrage at night. Um, I would have that glass of wine before he did. Um, I was too anxious to even be eating. And, um, and that's when my intuition, like, couldn't even keep it in anymore. And instead of trying to be the mom with a cheery face and the pleasing wife um, in, a, in a big city that is not my hometown, I um, just started to release. You know, I couldn't hold it in anymore. And um, mistakenly, the alcohol was a lubricant for letting out um, this, this anger that I was feeling from um, being lied to, like in my heart I knew I was being lied to, but on the outside I was being told it was my fault. And, um, and so that was actually fuel for the fire of um, the betrayer because then he could always point to that in me. And, um, and that's when I really started to crumble worse. So that was a very poor way um, to cope. Um, and, um, you you know, do you, so then how did you eventually discover? I mean, when did discovery occur and how did that happen? Um, it goes back to, so after years of other signs that were, I would have nightmares, really nightmares where I would, a repeated dream of um, my, my husband and another woman flirting or kissing or something right in front of me and I would try to say something about it and they would just laugh at me. And it was, that was a repeated dream. Um, so I, I, at the end I just wasn't even sleeping and, um, and I started kind of replacing alcohol with exercise. I started swimming and trying to get that energy out a different way um, because I could see the patterns in my home were very unhealthy from both of us at that point. And, there was a voice inside of me that, and it's that intuition again, that became 
so loud that it's like it was a command. Um, there was one morning um, I dropped the kids off, bedhead, you know, from school, like being the mom, getting breakfast on the table, getting them to school on time, drop off, and, you know, half in my pajamas, you know. And, um, and there was a voice inside of me that it said, run, don't walk to his office now, run. And he had left that morning earlier than usual. Again, it was anger, slammed the door, blocked me on his phone. Um, and I sprinted downtown in clogs two miles and I knocked on his door. And because he thought I was driving carpool, he kind of sauntered to the door and um, looked at, opened it and his fly was down and the computer was open and there was stuff in his bin and, um, and he just, you know, I caught him in the act, but it was, um, mm-hmm. it was my intuition. And another time before that, there was, I was coming home and something in me, a voice said, go very quietly with the key. Like just be very quiet. And I put the key in quietly. I didn't know why I had no idea, but I listened and I opened up, and there he was, you know, with a computer screen, and he was ranting and raving, saying he got all these parking tickets, and um, he was so stressed, and that's why. And, and so there were a number of those where I really started to trust my intuition, and, and I started to find the evidence that I had never seen before. And um, it was shocking. But it was mm-hmm. also um, a relief in some way to know that um, I had reason to feel the way I was feeling. So based on the fact that you had that kind of discovery and you were in shock, it's like you knew something was wrong, and maybe even as you're running there to the office, you knew you would discover whatever it was, but you needed to see it to know it. And now you know. Right? And so one would have thought, one would have hoped that he would have been remorseful and he would have wanted to get help and he would have wanted to help you heal. So what happened next? I'm a person of faith and um, and I was also very scared. I had three small children, a dependent spouse mm-hmm. um, in his hometown, not mine. And my, my reaction on one of the later discoveries, I just, I fell on my knees and I said, this is an opportunity because um, my life had been an open book. My life wasn't perfect or pretty. Um, and I had plenty of work to do. And I thought this could put us on an even playing field of be honest. Let's, let's talk about it. Um, I'm here for you. And there was a moment of, I would call it, um, it didn't feel like regret, but it felt more like remorse on his part. Um, and so after he would get caught, there were um, moments where he was very sorry. He was going to give it up. We were going to talk about it. Um, we were going to do radical togetherness where I would go to his office in the afternoon and work there alongside him if that helped. And it, and it did seem to help. But after the storm passed, all of a sudden the cycle would repeat itself. And, mm-hmm. um, and my, in my need to, to keep that relationship, um, I would keep holding on, but always a little bit longer than he did. 
he, he, all of a sudden, you know, the ghosting in the morning, not making that eye contact, you know, I'm like, good morning at the table, make coffee, no, no contact with me, only talk to the kids. Um, you know, those things started to happen again. And, and so the cycle really repeated him itself. He um, maybe didn't know, again, I, at that time, I didn't know what resources were available, um, but um, it, it wasn't long the discovery happened, had to happen repeatedly, and, um, and I felt very desperate in those times. I got scared when he would go to the office because I knew now that all these possibilities were available to him, which I didn't know before. And, you know, I always say if a man has the intention to get clean and sober, in his own sobriety, and then relationally make things better with you, he's going to need a whole bunch of tools from which to work. If he's just trying to white-knuckle it or he's um, not going to enough meetings or he doesn't have a sponsor or he's going to a great group like um, Celebrate Recovery, which is wonderful, but that's not – that's called therapy light. For somebody that, I mean, this is the hardest addiction to beat. Was he working a good, solid program? Because he, like you said, you had so many discoveries. Um, he would go to FAA. He told me Sex Addicts Anonymous meetings sometimes. He, what I discovered later in his full disclosure was that he was in and out of recovery during our 14 years of marriage, 12 to 14 years of marriage, he was in and out of recovery without my knowledge. So he um, did come clean saying that he was living a double life. And, um, and so, but he was trying to do it on his own. Um, he's uh, an iso- sort of an isolated person and had a lot of shame. And um, when I discovered him that last time, when I was on my knees saying, this is an opportunity for us, we went to um, marriage counseling, and um, he went to Every Man's Battle, which is an intensive um, uh, faith-based, I believe, um, workshop, and, mm-hmm. and that helped him for a minute, and, but I don't think that he had the drive internally. I don't think that he knew how to do it. I know the success rate for that is, is very high if the men continue the groups after, if they continue those bonds with other males, um, if they continue some other exercises. But, but he didn't. He actually went three times. And, um, and during that time I had to ask him to, to leave the home because the patterns were still so negative. Um, and... Um, so I am so glad that you you were able to say, I need boundaries. The patterns are so negative, and he's not getting better. And we all know that partners, an, an active addict, partner down if she doesn't have enough self-care and enough support herself, or if she hasn't learned the art that you, know, you don't want to learn, but it's that art of detaching, and saying, I will not let his behavior make me doubt myself. 
I'm going to stay strong. And Susan, that's what I've seen you do. You, you've gained a lot of strength. I mean, the fact that you want to help other women with this, um, how did you seek better help? Um, I, I first had to be honest with myself, and I had to recognize um, some patterns in me that um, attracted a man like that as sort of a predator. And so that was some very honest, hard, emotional work that I had to learn not to be such a pleaser. I think there's a beautiful part of women's spirit that we should never lose that can love and can love unconditionally and can give from within ourselves. Um, I had that one in spades, but it was coupled with um, uh, a, a, a fear that I couldn't make it on my own, a fear that I needed a man to um, be my my anchor and my support. And um, because I, did, I grew up in a society where I didn't see a lot of women working and I saw them catering to men. And they were good women, but that was just the South. <laughs> and not to belittle the South, there are beautiful things there. But I had to look inside of myself and, um, and be honest. And I had to address, I had to take a hard look at the ways I coped because I was escaping and I wasn't facing. And so that was a, a lot of emotional, honest work. And, um, and I had to go to my children when we were separated and say, what do I need to say I'm sorry for? Because y'all met mom in a really bad place. And, um, and there was a lot of um, trauma there in our family. And, um, and so I had to be honest with myself. And then I just, um, I just had to make steps. I had to seek um, help speaking with people like Carol Sheets, who have resources, who understand what women go through and where we need to build ourselves up. I think it's absolutely critical to get into a group and to speak with someone I think that it's also important to have courage to talk about, you know, quote unquote, ugly or scary issues like sex addiction. I was scared to talk about it in my community because I was still protecting my, um, my former partner because I thought, oh, no one would want to know that about him because, wow, they would be scared to have their kids over for a play date or something. And so I, can, I, mm-hmm. I protected him instead of speaking out. And I had to not, I had to learn how to address my truth, but in a way that I wasn't belittling anybody. And there's a lot of rising above that comes into play. And in my faith, I had to find faith in something greater than me that could carry me. Mm-hmm. Well, that is so important. I mean, that's what we ask men to do, sex addicts, to in the first three steps is to recognize your life's unmanageable, and to believe that something greater than yourself can restore your sanity, and then to ask for that surrendering. So your faith has played a pivotal part in your recovery, the trauma that this all has caused. And what can you share with women and mothers who get caught up in what I call this abuse cycle, because when you were describing the fact that he would work at it for a while and you'd have hope and then you'd kind of get excited and then about that time he couldn't sustain it or wouldn't sustain it and the whole cycle would go back um, to, the, to the start again. 
So what can you tell women that are experiencing that cycle of confusion, craziness, and chaos? Um, I feel like I had to be an observer. I had to mm. know that that my eyes see. And I think that women and men can see with their hearts. And it, it, it might be a, a cold example, but I, um, after the third every man's battle, I was, I was aware of this roller coaster I was on, and it was, it was up and it was high and it was fun, and then with the hope of the recovery, and then, bam, we would just crash again. And so after many of those cycles, I said, I'm just, when he came back, I said, I'm going to just watch. And I almost felt like a terracotta soldier, and like I had a, my, or a, 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 another metaphor is like an armor of God, a breastplate to protect my heart. My heart's going to stay where my heart knows is true, but I'm not going to entangle with you right now. I want to see what you put out. Um, I had to draw a line. Like I, I saw this invisible paintbrush come out of the sky, and I had to draw a line between us. And I say, I have to watch you um, and not get entangled. I have to watch you from a different um, field and see who you are. Um, I was so hungry for love. I was so hungry for intimacy that I would just take what he would give any time. And it, that was a trap. And, um, and so I would also say phrases like, don't take the bait. And that really took a lot of strength in me to um, just watch and observe and, um, and put my hope, which is a beautiful thing, never lose hope. But I couldn't let that steer me. I had to actually put the hope aside, put the hurt aside, put the loneliness aside, um, and, and just have the strength to, to watch. And, and take what was given me. Um, I tend to give the words to him. I would speak what I would want him to say to me. I would spoon feed the words. And then sometimes they would get parroted back to me. But there were nothing that came from his, from his space. And so, I, I, and so um, once I was able to do that for an extended period of time, he actually became honest and he said, I don't want to face the wreckage. And so my story was... Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunate in some ways, um, but it was better that he kind of said, I can't, I can't do this, and I can't, um, I'm not going to give you what you want. And that was very hard um, and scary, but it was better than being on the roller coaster. Um, so well, I, yeah. and it's affirmation that you really could remove yourself from the situation to the best of your ability. I mean, you had children. You couldn't do it totally. Um, for our listening audience, I'm talking with Susan, who is a partner. I don't want to say in recovery because I hate calling it recovery because it sounds like you were doing something wrong. But in trauma recovery from living mm-hmm. with an addict, who's very, very addicted to pornography. And she is, as you all know, as you can hear, she's in post-traumatic growth. She is putting herself in situations that builds her strength because she's helping others. And we all know with partner betrayal, there are three phases. One is safety and stabilization. That's where most partners are for the longest time while their addict gets help or not. And then there's that second phase, which is the anger, the grief, the mourning, the loss. And when you're doing that work, it somewhat releases you to say, hey, time for me to work on me. And so that's what Susan's doing. So as we end our podcast today, Susan, what's one more final 
piece of advice you'd like to give our listeners for the addicts who are listening and are admiring your courage and certainly for the partners who um, I'm sure are finding this quite inspirational? I would say um, go slowly and take it day Mm -hmm. by day. And um, don't get distracted by um, deflection or blame shifting. Trust your heart. If something's telling you it's wrong, then something is wrong. And and believe in that. And if you just have to sit with that for a little bit of time and and watch and observe, you can do it from a place of peace. Um, If you're angry, you're probably right. You you have to trust that something is um, betraying you. Um, Anger is a combination of pain and trigger thoughts. And so if you're experiencing pain in your marriage, um, be very consistent and, um, and lovingly, but with a distance if you need to, say, I feel something is wrong. And just watch. Watch the invisible. Watch for the invisible eyes. Watch for the invisible words and trust what you hear and have the courage to speak out from a, from a place of, um, of women's intuition and, um, and love yourself in the process. And, um, yeah. and there are ways that... You- um, and, you know, I really like that piece where you talked about it earlier and then I heard you say it again. Watch from a distance. That's mindfulness. When you take yourself out of the situation to observe what it is you're really seeing. And you did a great job of that. And that's when you realize, I'm not seeing what I So thank you so very much, Susan, for shared with us this morning. And I wish you continued success. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for this great opportunity and all the great work you're doing for women. I so appreciate you. Oh, thank you, and we'll talk soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. You know, she's talking from her own home, there, and she is talking wisdom, so we really appreciated her sharing her story with us. And now we have to go. But whether you're a couple, an addict, a partner, or a family member, there's always a nugget you can get from any of these podcasts. And as I always say, there will only be one of you at all times. Fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. We'll see you next week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.